This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. All right, hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. This is the show where we talk about all things related to futures and Forex trading with some of the best in the industry. I'm Jack Pelzer. I'm Dan Hodgman. And today, our main man, Jeff Carter, will be interviewing none other than the chief investment officer at Typhoon Capital, Mr. David Klusendorf. <laughs> Typhoon Capital is an active commodities trading firm, and he'll be talking to Jeff about what he sees coming down the pipe in 2020. So you'll definitely want to stick around for that, especially if you're into trading those commodities. Oil's up. Oil's up. Equities are up. Markets are moving. Um, I think this is going to be a great interview. I love hearing people's speculations on years to come. The you know the outlook of where they see next year going, and it's 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 always an interesting. That's topic. my favorite part about ending the year. You get all the new year predictions. Everyone's starting back at zero or something like that. Right. And you we get have to... that mindset of like, all right, let's start fresh. Where are we now? Where can this thing go? What can influence this? We got a big twenty twenty is a big year in general. Which is really exciting, in my opinion. Well, we got the Summer Olympics; those are huge movers in the markets. But we we also have uh, national, we have presidential elections. That, here that was in the kind States. of the route I was thinking oh, about okay. the, the elections, but uh, the Olympics—that's a big one too. Yeah. So, um, Dan, quick uh, twenty twenty prediction: Are we going to see S and P thirty five hundred or three thousand? Thirty five. I like thirty five. All right. I, I like the way that's going. As you can see, we moved on into the market reaction portion of the show before we get to the interview. <laughs> Dan Hodgman, one of the performance coaches at Top Step Trader, has joined me for this segment. Absolutely, Jack. I'm, I'm excited for what you and I are going to talk about. It uh, brings back some great memories. Yeah, he's talking about a couple hours ago when we filmed the Coach's Playbook <laughs> segment for our YouTube <laughs> channel. Uh, today, since this will be released on Thursday before uh, the non-farm uh, employment numbers, we thought we'd talk a little bit today about trading the unemployment numbers. So just to kick this off, one thing I want to say is Back when I was with the firm, we had two days a month. You did not take off. Didn't matter how sick you were. Didn't matter what you had going on. I mean, unless there was something catastrophic happened, you didn't take two days off a month. First being unemployment. First Friday of every single month, you never missed an unemployment and you never missed expiration. The last Friday of the month for options, my options expired every single month at the end. And uh, those were just the two days you never missed. Unemployment being, in my opinion, is one of, especially if as when I was step trading options, unemployment was my favorite day of the month. Oh, they were the best. So much volatility, so much opportunity. And I think the greatest part about unemployment, just in general, no matter what number comes out, you can go back and you can take a look at 90% of the markets. I mean, some markets are not really affected by that number, but you can go back and historically you'll see that these days create not just higher volatility, but bigger ranges. And so opportunity is going to be larger throughout these days. And the best part, really, if you're going to, we're going to get a little bit more detailed in here, uh, when we're thinking about unemployment just in general and how the ranges move, typically this is something I've seen a lot is that unemployment number comes out. There's an initial emotional reaction to that number. You see ever the market quickly go one way fast. And I mean, I'm talking fast minutes, seconds. It drastically moves quickly. Um, Key is don't be a part of that first move. Um, It's waiting for it to find a little bit of support or find a little bit of resistance. 
Then the market is going to try and work its way back to neutral. When I say neutral, it brings it back to the price point we were at before the number came out. And then it creates great opportunity. Sure. So patience, patience, patience. One rule I, I've heard a lot of people at Top Step kind of not being a big fan of is but not being able to trade economic releases. And I think if you look at it properly, you can actually – it helps set you up for great opportunity. We don't want to trade that first minute. When that number comes out, you don't want to be a part of that. It, it, it's – it's so emotional. We don't want to be emotional. We don't want to trade with emotions. We want to trade what we're seeing within that market. And so forcing yourself to stay out for a minute lets it slow down a little bit, gives you time for it to go, okay, here's now we're starting to see people digesting this number. Now we're starting to see where this market is really good. Yes, you can make money in that little scalping a quick move, but you're going to find bigger and more profitable opportunities in the longer trade. Sure. And as we talked about earlier, uh, there's a reason we said at the beginning, uh, unemployment numbers. numbers because keywords. there's you know about you know maybe a dozen numbers that come out then. And one of the hardest things about trading right after that headline number is that I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and guess that many of our traders aren't uh, you know, using text scraping algorithms and things <laughs> like that, that you don't know exactly who's paying attention to what number there and how it's going to move the market. A good number could mean you know, bad things to someone. Right. And we're not, none of us are trading large enough that we're influencing a direction of a market. We are trading. Speak for yourself. Well, I've, I've personally, I'm, I mean, I don't think I've ever, <laughs> ever influenced the market with my positioning. Um, we're not going to be able to be the ones that decide what we think about these numbers. Yeah, we can have an opinion. Oh, well, these three numbers are good, but this one's bad. That one's neutral. Um, the market's going to do this. We we can't really make that decision. We just have to wait for those big institutional traders to say, these are the numbers we like. Here's where we're going to put our focus on. Here's where we're going to start to um, liquidate or add to our positions. Yeah, you can have an opinion of other people's opinions. Exactly. It's about the but best you're not you can the do. one whose opinion counts ultimately. You have to be the one that's uh, you know, reacting to that. Yeah, we're we're reaction that's how all we have to be. We are have to be able to quickly react to directions. We have to be able to quickly recognize where we're gonna be able to get in. Um like I said, I, I'm I love trading after the numbers. I love being a part of those moves. I found greater profits and made more money waiting for that market to get back to neutral and then determine its direction from there. And the ranges, looking at the S&P here today, I looked at the S&P, and the average range on an unemployment day over the last six months has been approximately 40 points. That's, That's a big. good range yeah. for the S&Ps. So if you miss that five-point break to the bottom because we had a good number, but everyone sold the news really quick, and then the buyers started picking back up, Okay, you missed that five points, but you got another 30 that you may be able to take advantage of. Oh, sure. There's some huge moves on the unemployment day. So I, think, I guess we could boil this down to, you know, do your homework, know the fundamentals, but also, you know, don't be in there getting shredded up in the first second afterwards. Absolutely. If you get shredded in that first right away when that number comes out, you're going to miss such great opportunity throughout the rest of the day. So, Dan, just for the hell of it, yeah. I looked in the uh, consensus is around, I think, 180 for the number on Friday. And uh, one other thing is the ADP number was really bad today. I think it was like 67,000 or, uh, or something like that. I believe so. Uh, just for the hell of it, and uh, because this will come out tomorrow before unemployment, I say we both throw down a number real quick. 130. You're saying 130. I think we're going to miss. All right. You ready for this? Yeah. 90. You're going 90. I'm going okay, 90. Okay, so you think we're going to miss two. I think we're going to miss. I think it's going to be a miss. It's December. So I'm thinking... Labor force might be down just because, you know what, people are saying, we're coming in December, I'm pulling, you know, stop going to really looking too hard for the holidays. Maybe they, you know, are set up to get through the rest of this year. And then 
January will kick right back up, but I, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a miss. You know, and as we mentioned before, I think this is an important caveat, is that uh, we've already admitted that neither of our positions have ever moved to market. So uh, <laughs> our thoughts on what the unemployment number is going to be, frankly, uh, they don't matter. They so. don't matter at <laughs> all. No matter, even if it is, let's just say it's, it is 90. If we think that's a bad number, but the big money thinks that's, that's fine, we don't really care, the market can rally to the upside. Yeah, exactly. So we're just doing that for fun, and because it'll be recorded, we got some skin in the game. Uh, maybe we'll bet like uh, $5 on that. Five bucks? Five all right, bucks. It is. Five all bucks right. it is. We are shaking hands. Um, we have someone with us today who might know a little bit more about, uh, you know, might be able to move the markets a little bit more. Just, just maybe. Uh, he's the uh, CIO over at Typhoon Capital, Mr. David Klusendorf, and he's going to be speaking to Jeff today. So I'm excited. Yeah, so without further ado, Dan, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Uh, listeners, hope you enjoy the Limit Up interview today between our very own Jeff Carter and David Klusendorf. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Limit Up podcast on Top Step Trader. My name is Jeff Carter. You can find me online at pointsandfigures.com or on Twitter at pointsandfigures. Just a side thing, I'm trying to raise a little money for the National World War II Museum uh, where I was a board member. And it's on GoFundMe.com. Name a hotel room so we never forget. If you could donate 10 bucks, it would go a long way towards naming a hotel room after the unknown soldier. Um, welcome to the podcast today, Dave Klusendorf. He is the chief investment officer of Typhon Capital, which is based here in Chicago. It's a hedge fund. Prior to that, Dave was a floor trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And prior to that, he was a basketball star at Loyola University and played in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here, Jeff. It's always good to see yeah, you. Yeah, he's, he's, he's actually quite a bit taller than I am. Can you still dunk? No. The extra 100 pounds <laughs> since my playing days is kind of, you know, and it's sad because I can still stand underneath the basket and just reach up and yeah. grab the net flat-footed. Yeah, right. So you're not talking about you really have to jump very high to right. get it in, but... Oh man, my yeah. three knee surgeries will do that. Well, to the you. net, the net's only eight feet. Yeah, you know, so you can reach up and grab that. But I mean, yeah, yeah. those days are gone. I think I could still touch the rim. I know I can't get it down anymore, but I think I can touch the rim. I think you could touch the rim. I can touch the rim. Still. Yeah, yeah, but you're bigger than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my big trick with little kids is I can palm a basketball with two fingers. Oh God, yeah, so I could the... never palm it. Oh. My hands aren't big enough. I had to jump higher. You do. You do have to jump higher. Most definitely. Or two-hand slam. Two hands. Two-hand slam. Yeah. Rock the baby. Well, um, how did you get into trading? It was an unusual situation. I had I had graduated early from Loyola, and they let yeah. me go to grad school yeah. on a basketball scholarship. Uh -huh. And one of our alumni boosters had said, you know, why don't you go and interview at the CBOE? I'd come from a math background. Both right. my parents were math teachers. Yeah. And went down and interviewed with a now defunct FCM, and they didn't have any room for me. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, there's this new firm in town, and the owner's here. You should go meet him. And that's how I met Thomas Petterfee. Oh, and that wow. was And that was my first job was with Timber Hill. And yeah. they put me over at the CME. Gosh, I, I didn't clerk for very long, yeah. ma maybe a month. And they put me on a seat, and my job was to keep our position delta neutral in the S&P futures. Oh, wow. That's interesting because a top-step trader, you know, of course, they yep. let people paper trade, and then they back them. Sometimes it's 15 days. Sometimes it's longer. But, I mean, so you were literally about a month or two on the floor. It, it was a good, you know, 
opportunity had just kind of come along at yeah. the right time. It what was year was that? The spring of 87. Oh, spring of 87. Oh, what an auspicious time to come into the S&P futures. <laughs> it, it, it's funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> For people that don't know, something might have happened in October, October 19th of 87 that was kind of a big deal. Yeah, a little event. <laughs> P- people ask about that time, and it was yeah. really kind of neat because you had all these pictures of the pit, right? And right. I could see the top of my head, and you know that was you know just kind of a fun thing. But those days went really fast, and people ask like, "What do you remember?" And really, that a day lasted. It seemed like fifteen minutes because there yeah. was just so much to do. It was yeah, it was tight, yeah. and it, it was just it was it had just kind of exploded during those days. It was crazy, and and like out trade clerks, you'd you'd leave the place at like nine ten o'clock at night and be back at one one in the morning to do out trades. There was another guy in the in the pit from Loyola Burrich who played basketball there. Danny Burrich did did he follow the same path? No, um, and Danny started a little later than I. Yeah. I was already on You're, my own we're trading. Older. Year. We're a little bit older, <laughs> but Dan Dan is just one of those special people that you meet along the way in sports that mm-hmm. you know just kind of epitomizes what it's all about. Yeah. Right, hard worker right. makes the most of his talent and his ability. Mm-hmm. And then has compassion, competes between the lines, right. but when outside of it has compassion. Yeah, yeah. And, he was and empathy nice for what guy. other people, you know, are involved with. Yeah. So he was a good player in high school here in Chicago at De La Salle. Yeah, De La Salle yeah. guy. You bet. Yeah, good, good memory. They were good. So when you were a trader in the pit, and I know how I was, how did you analyze risk for yourself? It would really depend on what my objective was for the day. Mm-hmm. So I, I never really – I came in with preconceived notions as far as, okay, this is the past history. You know, we've had seven up days in a row. Yeah. Be careful when you want to go long. Right. So you have some of those trend things that happen. Right. But I was a spreader. Right. So I was always cognizant of the fact of what was happening around me. And, and I think that really gets to when I'm asked – you know, why did you succeed trading electronically right. and other guys didn't? Right. And I think a lot of it has to do with, especially in the euro dollars, you had many places to go with your trade. So if you traded S&Ps mm-hmm. or you traded cattle, right. it was just what was in front of you. You had That's no other right. place to go. Right. And so you learned that there were yeah, spread. you weren't spreading to the NASDAQ. <laughs> so so there, there were spread relationships. Now, yeah. if you're an yeah. equity trader, an S&P trader, yeah. How many different instruments can you go to? 50 yeah. Yeah. that you could use to go about doing it. And then right. having an option background right. with Timber Hill helped a great deal. Yeah, the math background helped you. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it was funny. I didn't quantify it at all. It was just kind of how I felt that day, which is not a good way to measure risk. And Steve Vilwak was another trader on the floor, and we were talking about it once, and he said, put enough on so that you could sleep at night, but not so little that it's meaningful. You know, not meaningful. So he says, if you lost 250 bucks, would it matter? And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, trade bigger than a 10 lot. He said, if you lost 25,000, would it matter? I'm like, yeah, that would piss me off a little bit. And he's like, well, then don't trade 1,000 lots. Well, that, I mean, I think that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lot of it had to do with your sizing. Yeah. And it, it gets to what we look at at Typhon trading-wise. So I always had – numbers in my head that made me just what you talked right. about made you feel uncomfortable right and so my time limit started to become smaller 
right? Time, okay, so the limits that you would hold the trade for? Yeah, would, oh, okay. would, be, would start to shrink. Right. And that comes back to what I consider the cornerstones of trade construction mm-hmm. is time and volatility. The position that you put on to express your trading idea, how long is that going to play out? Right. So a great example would be the S&Ps because they move around a right, little bit, right? right. So if, if you told me the S&Ps are going to be trading 3,500 and you said that that was going to happen this time next year, yeah, I would say buying futures would be a bad idea <laughs> because we – see, we couldn't, we, we couldn't, couldn't weather the volatility no, storm, couldn't. right? Right. So we have to express it in some other ways. Now, if you told me that it was going to be there by tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. oh, you and I could go have some fun. Yeah, right, Because, right, right. you know, like, hey, let's go. Well, you could buy some options too. Y- yeah. make it a pop if there's enough volatility. You bet. Right. You bet. So it's all these ways of expressing it. And those are really good risk measures mm-hmm. for someone that's looking at establishing positions. That's an is, interesting is, way to is, look at it. How do you – how do you measure that size for you? And then what is the – and that gets to another component yeah. we use. We use a very simplistic – and it's not with all of our traders. It really is what your niche is. But if I was a livestock trader, right. I would be looking at a risk budget. Like I am not going to lose more than 1% in a day. And right away that sizes me. And it becomes pretty easy to calculate. You look at a standard deviation for a day, and, yeah. you know, in a typical move, and that'll start to kind of give you a, an ability to look at a size ratio of it and mm-hmm. to know, okay, I can do a 10 lot. Right. You know, I mean, if we were trading euro dollars, you yeah. know, it probably would be a hundred or a 200 lot right. because, you know, like, what's it going to move in a day? Right, right. Three ticks, four right. ticks. Right. Exactly. And, and you got to have them on to make money. Yep. What about when markets get sort of, really out of control. And, you know, you start thinking about not Black Monday type markets, right? Because that was off the charts. That's a five standard deviation event, right? But like, you could see stuff happen where you you hear people on Twitter call it a face ripping rally or, you know, it's (laughs) sort of an outsized rally or break. You know, Trump tweets something and the market drops or rallies. How do you think about risk when that's out there. The tweet part of it, Jeff, is really a hard thing, yeah, right? Because right. it's it's not that any of those things are expected, but that truly comes out of left field, yeah, right? It's a, Where it's, it's just it's uncontrollable risk. It's, un, it's uncontrollable right. risk. The the volatility, I, I'm a big believer in you reduce your size. And and the volatility also presents opportunity. Right. That's that's right? the thing is like so all of a sudden the market trades to the point you thought it was going to trade and it shouldn't have be, be trading there, right? It's it's a two standard deviation move. And you're like, okay, I'm supposed to decrease my size, but this is a crazy opportunity. I mean, should you buy them with both hands and like really load the boat or not? I, well, I think it depends on, on on whose money you're trading. If it's your own, my you know my I mean, boat is always you know do what you can afford to do. I mean, we hear stories about guys that have done that, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, we know. Yeah, I mean, Tudor Jones was short on well, and this is again Black Monday, which is a bad thing. He was short position limits in S and P's on the open that day. I mean, crazy. It's but, crazy but stuff. A guy we knew, Greg Baird. On after Black Monday, started buying calls to beat the band, um, and was almost carried out of there. And then all of a sudden, the market turned and ba boom, you know. Uh, the volatility of it, 
presents opportunities. So, you know, it's the chaos, yeah. right? I mean, like, let's just call it what it right. is. It's it chaos. Is chaos. Yeah. And chaos presents a lot of opportunity. So to be able to take losses during that yeah. is really a good thing because you're going to get another chance. Yeah. You're not getting another chance. You're getting a dozen more chances. Yeah, 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 right. So let me play the game because I know I'm going to have a lot of chances. And then that becomes a, a thing of how do you get out? Are you smart enough to catch the all-time bottom move? No. You know, no, of course not. So then you start to curb your upside. Mm -hmm. So if you're dealing on a percentage basis, if I had a trade on that made 3%, I'm booking it. Yeah. Because I know I'm going to get another chance to yeah, make yeah. another one or two. And maybe if I do that enough, maybe I do have a 10% day. It's sort of like in a basketball game, if you're playing, if the game gets frenetic and you're up and down the court a lot, you don't run, you don't try to milk the shot clock till the end. You shoot early in the clock, hope you get a rebound if you miss, and if you make it, you make it, and then you go play defense to try to get the ball back, right? I mean, is that the good analogy or not? It's a really good analogy, the the intuitive nature of it, right? Yeah. So um, one of the analogies that I use is from a movie, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting? How about when, them apples? <laughs> yeah, when he's asked about, yeah. you know, how do you remember things, yeah. and, and he's like, I can't play the piano. When I look at a piano, all I see are black and white keys. Right. But Beethoven saw a symphony. Right. And there are times when I look at those numbers on the screen and I really do see the dance. Yeah. I, I see the dance. I see how things are related and how things are moving. And then there are times I see squiggly lines. Mm -hmm. And when they're squiggly lines. And it's lines, the same screen. It's the same screen. Yeah. When I see the squiggly lines, mm -hmm. um, I turn the machine off. Yeah. And I go do things to clear my head and realize the band plays tomorrow. Yeah. Plays again at five o'clock when we close. So how did you how do you become confident enough to know that you're not fooling yourself? So I think I see something, <laughs> right? But you're not really seeing something. You're just telling yourself you're seeing something that nobody else is seeing, and so you're going to take advantage of it. I think the especially going to a screen. Yeah. The the three things, and this is another great hoops analogy, yeah. right? So we can pass, dribble, or shoot the ball when we have right. it. And I think most everyone recognizes that you can buy something and you can sell something. Mm -hmm. But when you start to realize that no trade is a trade, yeah, that really becomes a light bulb moment. For Explain that a, a little better. What do you mean no trade is a trade? So um, I'm unsure if I'm going to buy it. I'm yep. unsure if I'm going to sell it. Yeah. So I've decided to show some discipline and not trade. But that non-trade, yeah. I monitor like it's a real trade. Right. Where did we go from here? Did I miss something? What did I miss? Did something here move that I didn't see? And you write down like yeah, you what bet. you were seeing when that trade happened so yep. that when you monitor it, if you see it again, you can look at you go, yeah. And so you build up some confidence in yourself. Yeah, Is you bet. It? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's – I like playing opens because of, of trade imbalances, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you can pick up some bips, yeah. you know, that way. Um, I stay away from, you know – Big numbers, yeah. you know, big resting orders, yeah. you know, because they can really kind of suck you in right. one way or another. So so there are certain situational things that I'll stay away from, but I also monitor them because what if that's to happen another deviation away? Right. You know, with, will that behavior repeat itself? So mm -hmm. I, I think we're starting to get into a little bit of this pattern thing. Yeah. I, I don't want to discount the fact and I, it's a very hard thing to teach nowadays. Yep. Yeah. If we have a spread on and this product's one bid, you know you're going to be three bid. There's a reason to buy them. Mm -hmm. And if you know where those spreads are, 
Uh, it's one of the things we help with a lot of quant traders. Mm. They'll they'll scalp in and out. They'll get a good scalping program yeah. going. And I, I don't mean that by a tick by yeah, tick. Yeah, yeah. But let's say it's a four tick run. Sure. Um, and it weights itself. So sometimes he's doing one lots, two lots, or three lots. Mm-hmm. You start to get to a point of like wh- wh- when you have three on, why aren't you spreading one of them? Why aren't you spreading it away? Mm-hmm. You know, wh- why don't you, why aren't you monitoring spreads? Because maybe when it snaps back the other way. You make the bid ask on that spread, right. and there's another. That's tick. another tick. It's another tick in your yeah. pocket that you didn't yeah. have, and sometimes you get some real blank looks. Like, well, why would I do that? And I'm yeah. like, because it's an extra tick. But that's you know? an options trader view yeah. of the market. So, a f- side story: this guy that originally backed me was a guy named Roger Carlson, and he was the first guy to figure out you could pass the book in the euro dollar options from Chicago to London to Singapore, and you know, with Chicago and. Uh, Singapore, there was mutual offsets, so you didn't have the clearing costs. London was a different exchange, so you had to put up the money, right? So one day, this company called CRT, which is a big trading company, yep. comes in the pit in London, and they're trading euro dollar sheets at 20% volatility, when at the same time in Chicago, it was 12%. It was like huge discrepancy in prices. And so we were selling London to beat the band, right? Yeah. And this guy calls me up, and he says, hey, we're selling it at 20, tell Roger. And I walk in the pit and I'm like, hey, they're selling it at 20 and his eyes lit up. And so I started buying like thousand lot straddles and making <laughs> and making like eight ticks a straddle or yeah. some crazy. And, and Roger gets out of the pit and he starts screaming at me. He goes, what the are you doing? You know, and I said, I'm buying like twos and making money. And he's like, I'm legging ones. <laughs> <laughs> And it was like he got the extra, extra tick. tick out of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, so right now, so you're the chief investment officer at Typhon. How does an institution look at risk compared to how you looked at it when you were an individual? Well, an institution wants to quantify it in every way, uh, shape, and form. So that's everything from VARs, all the different sorts of VAR that you can put Mm -hmm. into something, um, margin to equity usage. Are you, are you maximizing your sharp, you know, are you, are you trying to make return off of a sharp, off of margin to equity, off of your value at risk? So it becomes different things. And, when I have traders come to me, do you have different measures of risk for different traders? Yes, very oh, you much do? so. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So it's not just one blanket. This no. is no. I mean, how, how could I mean? We, we, if you had a metals trader that was trading spreads and those kind of inch along a yeah. little bit like euro dollar yeah. spreads do, yeah. And you have someone trading livestock, yeah. You know, like they're they're just two different things. Yeah, livestock's a different animal. So no pun literally. intended. <laughs> so it, it's uh, it's one of those. There is no one size fits all. So yeah. from a risk perspective for Typhon, our risk is very much uh, a collaborative and proactive approach. Uh-huh. So we use a little bit of um, circuit breakers. Yeah. Um, sometimes a risk budget. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll use a VAR of what we're putting together. Sometimes it's off of margin to equity. Mm-hmm. Really depends on the product. The nice thing about it is as time has gone on, and you get a little more road under your wheels with traders, I, I rarely make the phone call. The phone call comes to I me. I was just going to ask you that. How yeah. many times do you make the phone call and how yeah. many times you call on somebody and saying, we're blowing you out of this position? Or is it an ongoing conversation where they're very, uh, you're very transparent about how you're measuring the risk and then 
if things change, you start measuring the risk differently and you say, hey, guy, um, we used to measure you this way, but this is how we're measuring you and this is why. Yeah, is we, that, I mean, we, yeah. We, we can very much do that. And usually that doesn't really come. It's usually the trader that goes, this isn't working. What else yeah, can we do? Yeah, they know it, right? They know it because it, yeah. it comes across in their P&L. And it's not so much a um, where I'm dictating it uh, 100% of the time. Right. The communication between all of our traders is ongoing. Yeah. That's the way I spend right. you know, a good six to seven hours in the yeah. day is yeah. just talking to Dave's got to big bags under his eyes, too, because you got to do it 24-7. <laughs> I do. Uh, so it's, so the, it's that constant communication. And it can be on the phone. It can be through text. You yeah. know, we have you know, our end-to-end coded stuff that, right. that is all right, uh, works well. So that, that stuff happens through those modes of communication. So when a position goes on, I know about it. Yeah. And as it starts to move one way or another, it takes priority depending on what it's doing. If I knew my, you know, livestock trader had a large position on yeah. and there are some, you know, reports coming up at the end of the week, I know that we're going to decrease our size going yeah. into the report. Why? Because right. we have volatility again, right? Yeah, volatility and, and time. They And I, well, I don't know how livestock trades today, but in the old days when I traded it, there was no getting out. Yeah. The report came out and you had what you had. You had what you had. <laughs> so we, we, we yeah. pair our size down before yeah. that happens. I, yeah. I don't want a full boat of risk on. Yeah. So why, you know, so it can happen. We'll interview traders and, you know, we've had traders say no to us that we have liked because they will flat out say, I don't want anyone to ever tell me what I can and can't do. Oh, really? And my response to that is trading customer money isn't what you want to do. Right. Because they're going to tell you, lose enough money, you just get fired. Right. You get right. fired. And right. you know, our job Unless is- Unless you've got a really stupid customer, yeah. which is well, not true anymore. No, it's not true finance. anymore. There was that one dude in the Euro dollars. Who was that guy? He went to Pennsylvania. He had the one backer, oh, Alphonse uh, or whatever that guy. And he all he, yeah, would, yeah. All he would do is roll the dice every day. <laughs> It's like he Dixie. might as well. He might. He might as well have gone. At least it was Dixie's own money. Yeah. He he might as well have just gone to Vegas because all he did was this guy. If you could have seen him, he would come in and buy like three or four or five thousand cars, yeah. and pay up for them. And then if the market went his way, boom, he had a great day. If it didn't, he didn't have such a great day. And it was. I mean, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It seemed like uh, I played basketball at Penn. I ironically, yeah, I, don't, I, don't... I trying to remember his name. It started with an A. About six four, six five, yeah. So, small guy. Yeah, small guy. Small guy. <laughs> well, in basketball, you are a small guy. So interesting. Risk is so such a weird thing. And and if if you read Nassim, and I'm I'm from Chicago, so I don't speak English. Nassim Taleb's book on you know black swan events and how bankers banks don't measure risk correctly. Why are people mispricing risk in the market so much? All right, so I have my own personal yeah, slant that's on fine. this, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and a lot of it has to do with, you know, the practical nature of trading. Right. So someone will ask, all right, you know, how can you basically off the top of your head really kind of know where VAR is? Right. And I'm like, well, that's 32 years of firsthand observation. Right. You know, it's not looking at a computer program. It's firsthand ops. Right. To this day, I like seeing the ladder in front of me. I like seeing them move in different directions. Mm -hmm. um, it gives me something visual, almost tactile mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. So when you start at a big hedge fund, you know, you have to work your way up. Yeah. 
And risk is one of those stops along the way. So it can be transient in some, in some shops, not all, but some it, it can be. And then it becomes, well, this is how I'm measured. So you find a way around it, but like almost any human behavior, you know, if I give you a rule, you're going to find a way to circumvent the rule so you can get to your own goal. Sure. Um, so I, I think that's to say that there is one, you know, silver bullet that can pierce everything is not the correct way of looking at it, which is what we got back to earlier, right? right? right. You asked like, oh, you have different risk systems for right, different right, products? Right, right. Well, of course. Yeah. And, you know, even in the, in, in the equity world, you know, how do you, how do you measure the risk of owning Amazon compared to owning you know, I'm trying to think of, of Uber. Uber, yeah. You know, or, or, you know, some, you know. Or 3M or Microsoft or, yeah. Versus a utility, right. you know. I mean, like, they, they are really different products. And so if, if or you're. Or a gonna, mining stock. Yeah. There's yeah, another or good something, one. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, how do you put that together? And see, that's, I think, a true talent is mm-hmm. the person that can put that portfolio together. Yeah. And really have it balanced to produce a consistent return. What sort of things happen in a market? that really raise your hackles. And I'm not talking about the traders that you're sort of informing on risk. I'm just talking about in general where you go, like maybe volatility is at an all time low and that you go, this can't remain. So I'm going to be extra. I'm going to double down on what everybody's got because I know this is going to swing the other way. You know, let's say that the, the VIX goes to like eight. You know, it was just, it, I, I don't know. I, I haven't looked at the VIX in a long time, but it bumbles around between, you know, 12 and 15 or whatever. I'm, I'm a seller at 12 and a buyer at 18 <laughs> in the VIX. You know, it, it's kind of, you know, not what you think it, it should be. But I'm curious, like, but, what sort of things are out there? You know, you've got, okay, so economic events, everybody gets a heightened sense of risk around that. But what are some sort of, like, maybe ancillary things that are out there in the market that could potentially affect the market that raise your hackles and go, whoa. All right. So my my, my first problem really yeah. has to do with more of a systemic nature. Um, I'm not a real fan of the buying of order flow. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm right. not because I, I think it slants the, the playing field. Right. You know. We Lowers were commissions sold. for everybody. But, yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, zero commissions now. Yeah, right. Which is great. Because they're selling their order flow. <laughs> Our generation was yeah. sold the promise that the electronic playing field yeah. was going to be a very level one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, that, no and doubt about that. And it, and it isn't. It is In fact, it's, it's worse than open outcry ever Yeah, was. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there are, you know, certain things. The At the beginning of the month here, we had two algos competing in the euro dollars trying to get messaging quicker mm-hmm. to each other uh, so that they could get the first glance at the trade. Huh. And that was in the Wall Street Journal right. and, you know, the Merck came up with a solution of it. And, you know, I, I don't have any real opinion if that's a, a good solution or not. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's some of those things that um, I, I think the first thing when we went to a screen, I always and, and I, I don't think there's a practical way to do this. If I bought threes from you and you were going to sell twos, yeah. I should have right of first refusal. Yeah. And yet there's no way that can there's be no done, way that can on, be done. Yeah. on a screen. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, there were some of those things that, you know, I liked about but there are a tremendous amount of things I like about screen trading. There are things I didn't like about open outcry. Yeah, the um, smell. Yeah. There, there were a lot of it. <laughs> I kind of remember who the S&P guy was. I want to say his name was Farouk, but he used to put um, paper towels under his arms because oh, he used to sweat so much. And oh, then he God. would throw them out in the middle of the pit. Oh, God. And you're like, what are you doing? 
You know, and I'm a 23-year-old yeah, at the right. time, you yeah, know, yeah, going yeah. like, I can't believe what I'm seeing, you know? Prince Andrew's got nothing on that guy. Yeah. Um, as far as the gaming of things, I think is really kind of what you're getting to. Yeah. Of like when something gets pushed out of line, once again, like I'm not one, like I'm taking the whole thing. Yeah. I'll take a little piece. Uh-huh. I'll take a little piece. See I'll, what I'll take what, what's my, because now I am very much a niche trader. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with be there's nothing wrong with having the aspiration to be the biggest trader in the world. Right. But being the biggest trader in the world doesn't mean you're the most profitable trader yeah. in the world. Well, you have and a target was, on your back too. Yeah. And, and so I I have a I'm a big fan of capacity restrained niche traders. Mm-hmm. I think they they find their way, and if you can hop on board with something and learn that way, th- there are a lot of good things that can come about. What's the easiest way to find your niche? I think one, how about the curiosity of it? Yeah. How about the curiosity of it? Like, you know, interest rates, I was always really curious about. Yeah. And I started in the S&Ps. Right. And had, you know, probably the most horrific events, you know, of all time happened, you know, in my first year. They're tangentially related. Yeah. Interest rates and stock markets. I mean, so. You know, and, and, you know, then you start to discover you know, you know, what's deliver the cheapest to deliver yeah. in the board of trade products. Yeah, right, and, right. you know, there, there's a whole math thing there behind that. There is a whole that. math thing, yeah. So you, there's you, a whole game around that. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole game around it. And, you know, I've always been fascinated with deliveries and yeah. the whole delivery mechanism because it, it's, it's not complex, mm-hmm. but you really have to know it to be able to profit by right. it. So I, I think it's what, you know, I think now, Jeff, if it was us and we were 22, 23 years old, I think the things that would appeal to me yeah. now would be ETFs and yeah. Bitcoin. So you guys trade some crypto. How yeah. do you measure risk in crypto? To me, that is like such a black hole. We got extreme. We were extremely fortunate that our PM with crypto yeah. comes from an energy background. Uh-huh. So he is used to wild swings yeah. in the markets. <laughs> and so his his viewpoint of volatility and you know the sizing of it um, – really, really starts to, to play well with mm-hmm. it. So his time frame becomes very small. Yeah. So that shrinks his risk because mm-hmm. you, you, you get jumps obviously in Bitcoin, yeah. but you know, the $10,000 jump doesn't come in two minutes. No. So when you start to shrink that time frame down, you start to shrink your, your risk parameters a little bit around mm-hmm. it. So, um, I think, that's one of the reasons why the crypto space in general, the, the token space, coin yeah. space, um, is fascinating to me. And, you know, the Merck has a good product right now. Uh, I like the CBOE one because it was a little more granular. Yeah. But the futures product is is a good way to go about I think it'll be it. interesting to see as that space matures. One of the things I always thought about as a trader is if a product was super hyper liquid, I didn't have as much opportunity. I mean, I had liquidity to get in and out, but I could not get the edge as well as I could. Where in a non-liquid market, I could create my own edge if I had a view and I knew and I was right. And that's why I said yeah. we were in our in our younger twenties yeah. and our lower twenties. Yeah. Like you're right, it's not a mature market, right. so there is there's plenty, a lot of holes. There's a lot of holes. Yeah. So there's a great way like you find your little niche right. right like what plays for me and what do i see what dance do i see right. through all of this that i can join in on what about new contracts so richard sander will be on this podcast soon he created for people that don't know who he is he created the um interest rate contracts at the board of trade back in the early 70s 
he created the Climate Exchange, um, which got bought by ICE for close to a billion dollars. And now he's out with a new one called Ameribor, which is going to replace the euro dollar, according to him, because the euro dollar was totally rigged during LIBOR. 2008. The LIBOR rate was. And so they need a new product to replace the euro dollar. And, um, of course, the Merck is kind of saying, no way. Uh, the euro dollar is one of their biggest contracts, most liquid in the world. Um, we both traded euro dollars, but he's coming out with the Ameribor. If you had a trader come to you and say, I want to trade Ameribor, how would you measure risk in a new contract like that that's like doesn't have any proven track record? I think the first thing we'd look for is what are you going to tether it to? You know, like what could you spread this against? Yeah. You know, um, because you don't know how it's going to move. I, I was fortunate. When I was with Timber Hill, yeah. I was able to be at the start of what was called the JV250 mm -hmm. at the CBOE. And really what it was supposed to do, it was supposed to mirror the OEX. They were losing lots of business to the Merck because yep. OEX guys would use the S&P futures to, to spread right. their, their risk away. Right. So they wanted to create their own futures contract. And it was interesting because when that first bell rang, there was no market. Mm -hmm. And that's it right. moved around and it was extremely volatile. And to me, I think that's where you get to no trade is a trade. Yeah. You know, you want to watch to see how this kind of comes about. Right. Will it be – it's hard to dethrone – the biggest contract in the world. Yeah, it's going to be a long shot for sure. But, but to take a piece of it when it's the biggest, right? You know, maybe you get a little bit of Goliath, and it makes a business, and it makes it go. Um, I haven't kept up with the micro with the S and P's. I know it's been the most successful new contract launch. Yeah, I haven't kept up with that. That, at all. that the CME has ever had. Well, it's a retail size yeah. bite that most people like. I, I would imagine a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are trading micros. It would be another thing I, if yeah. I was in my in my early twenties that I would be very very right. interested in. Right, you're not talking a lot of a great deal of capital, you know. So that's that's where you know when you look back at you know different generations coming through commodities mm -hmm. markets or through the trading arena, it, it always has been what can I bankroll yeah. to get in? Because if you're good, you can make money and you can bankroll yourself as time goes along, and then you make other decisions. Well, and you can always go bigger. I mean. Back in the day when there were no when there were no electronic markets, there was a little exchange in Chicago called the Midam where a lot yeah. of guys proved themselves and um, then they went to the bigger pits. So they would trade a smaller size bond contract or a smaller size wheat contract or whatever, and then they would go to the bigger pits. And it was in this little corner of the board of trade. Um, and we used to make fun of it all the time. But the reality is like there were guys in there. Ricky Stevenson was a mid-am guy, and he was one of the best Eurodollar traders the world ever saw. Yep. And he learned his craft on the small contracts. So there's something to be said for doing that with micros. If you if you think trading is this magic that just kind of happens yeah. and there's no real work behind it, yeah. you're, you're really setting yourself up to fail. One yeah. of my favorite quotes of all time is from John Wooden and – uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Yeah, no doubt. And if if you don't do your homework and you, you're not really – and that comes from everything to the mechanism of trading itself. Right. The nuts and bolts to it, to the more you know intellectual side of it. Yeah. It, it's it's one of those things that can also be your worst enemy. You know, yeah. I, I can – I clearly remember when we decentralized my trading group and I was literally working out of my home mm -hmm. and how – 
I thought this was the best thing ever, right? Like I right. had this beautiful office in right. my home and right, I could right, do all that right, nice right, stuff. Right. And then my days started to be literally from five in the evening to four in the evening. Yeah. And I'd have times where I had to be in front of the screen. Yeah. And it, it just, you don't become a good father. You don't become a no. good husband. You know, a, all that stuff deteriorates because it's just you and it becomes too solitary. It's consuming. Yeah. It's consuming. Yeah, it's a good it's way consuming. to put it. Becomes all consuming. I mean, I think like trading when we traded on the floor was consuming. And even then we had 24 seven markets in the financial markets, um, not in the um, grain markets, but or or meat markets, but in the financial markets, it was 24 seven. It just didn't trade 24 seven like it does today because it was not computerized in the evening. A lot. Of, I mean, a lot of times it just was an open outcry somewhere else, you know. And so it wasn't as stressful. I think it's actually m more stressful to trade today than it used to be. Um, plus, you have more information flow that you never had before. I mean, we had a a news board. What is a Reuters news board? Yeah, that was it. And and that was it. Yeah, and people talking. I can remember in the hogs once I knew there was swine flu in the herd. And like me and two other guys in the world knew it. And the market was breaking and we would just buy a little bit in at a time. And pretty soon I had like a lot of fucking hogs on because it kept going down. And then like two days later, the rest of the world figured it out. And it was like lock limit up for three or four days. <laughs> like, Those are good times. <laughs> I'm going to go get something to eat down at the Merck Club. <laughs> Who's got them? Not me. <laughs> but you actually, had to, you had to actually had to scale out of them a little bit. Um, because you never knew if it was going to go the other way. When markets get really violent like that, you don't know. Because once the standard deviation spreads, then there's a new standard deviation that you have to trade within. No shame in taking profit. No. You never go broke taking a profit. You no shame in taking a profit. profit. So a couple pieces of advice for um, newer traders that are kind of coming on the Top Step platform. What, what advice would you give them? Um, just a couple nuggets of, of wisdom, and then we'll wrap it up. I, I think the first is a little perseverance. So you do have to be mentally tough. Learn from your mistakes. I, I think I always had this little progression for guys that traded for me. The yeah. first was learn to take lots of small losses. Yeah. And that's a little easier said than done in the electronic age because – things can kind of lurch. Mm -hmm. So th that becomes a little harder. Um, mm -hmm. But learn how to take, I thought that someone that learned how to take little losses, he could at least have a learning curve, mm -hmm. right? You take one big loss, m most places Hurts. are just going to show you the door yeah, right. and go, you, you know, you, this is not You're for done. you guy. Yeah. <laughs> so learn to take a little loss. And then it became, if you learn to take those little losses, you could probably stay in the game. And then if you learned to let your winners run a little bit, mm -hmm. um, then you could probably make a living. How do you learn how to do that? Oh, I, I think a lot of it has to do with what Everybody you, says that. Yeah, but it, it's risk-reward. So if I'm willing to risk five ticks, right. and then I should have some sort of measure on the winning side right. of like, okay, if I'm willing to, to lose five, I, I want to make 15 so that I get paid. So I can be wrong right. three times right. and then be even. Right. And there's some, you know, real subtleties through all of that, right, Jeff? Uh -huh. Like you, you can get to like, all right, it's not going this way and you have other measures that, right. that can that can really kind of do that. Um, 
So I, I think that's the first thing. What is your risk reward ratio through all of this? Yeah. I think the real trick to a successful trader is is the person that can learn how to add to a winner. Um, I don't add to, I, I don't add, here's my other little, yeah. don't add to a loser. Yeah. You're, you're better getting out and reestablishing the trade uh -huh. than you are, oh, you know, this is when in five trouble ticks. double. Yeah, no, I mean, when in trouble double. <laughs> I'm five ticks against me. If you and, got a hunch, do a bunch. Yeah, you know, and, and, and now it's ten ticks against me, and I yeah. didn't get out. Oh well, you know, if I buy one here, you know, right? Hey, I'm averaging. Yeah, and then it's twenty ticks against you, and I'll then buy you're more. yeah. So I mean, that's the first thing is that's a whole different scenario to say you come to me and you're like, you know, hey, clue, um, I want to put this hog position on. Yeah. And I want to put five units of risk on however many contracts right, right. that means. I want to scale into this. Yeah. That's an entirely different mode than, oh, it's against me. I'm going to add. Right. Oh, it's against me some more. I'll add another one. That's a good way to get carried out on your shield. So, so uh, let's explore that a little bit. So I'm going to do five units of risk. I put one on. The market goes against me. But I had a plan that I was going to put five on, so I add until I get to the five, and now the market still goes against me. Well, then that's when your risk control comes in. And, you and that's where you decide to liquidate. Yeah, you, you liquidate. So let's take a better scenario. That's the painful one. Um, I buy one. The market goes my way. I want five on. You got to learn to add to a winner. So I buy one or I buy four? Uh, no, you you start with buying one, and, and here's a great story. Okay, right. so one is a little bit about risk control, and another one is a little bit about what I really see as a great way to maybe the last way to add alpha to a trader, and that's through execution. Yeah. So first risk control I ever saw, uh, guy across the hall from me in in the old Merck building. Yeah. At, what was it Ten South Wacker was the one. Yeah. Um. He had three screens in front of him. His screen was in the back. They overlooked the river. Uh -huh. And he he had them all hooked together so he could see what the guys were doing. Yeah. And when someone would screw up, he had a rubber baseball. <laughs> and he would throw it at the back of their heads. They go, what are you doing? You know, like, you learn how to trade. You know, boom. You know, and he's like, isn't this great? That's I'm funny. like, okay, uh, however long that's going to Yeah, last. right, right, right. Um, but, you know, I knew guys that went off the floor that would have rubber bands around their wrists, mm -hmm. you know, would snap them. Yeah. You know, like, hey, wake up a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, some sort of physical little, pain. Little self-punishment. Uh, but I always thought, but <laughs> like, what do they call those priests that wear the, I can't pronounce it, it's a chiclet or a chickless or I can't, oh, yeah, you know. yeah, it's got the spikes yeah, the in spikes it. spikes in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah and the hair all, shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I but don't know. On the, I'm from Chicago. I don't speak English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's interesting on the execution side. So trading something like Euro dollars, mother is the necessity of invention, sure. right? So um, it's. You needed some way to get into these spreads, yeah. right? So, you know, I was a lager of spreads. I did right. pretty good with that. And yeah. I needed to get out of them. Right. And so you would accumulate them. It's like, okay, now it's time to get out. Right. So Excel, well, the Merck didn't allow you to write to the matching engine. No. You know, everything was a click. Right. So, and Excel didn't really keep time in those did in not. those days. Nope. So we had a egg timer, like your mom used to have when you were a little kid. Yeah. So you would set it for five minutes and it would go around and it would ding. Yeah. And you'd go, okay, we have 2,000 spreads to get out of. We're getting out of a hundred lot. 
Wow. And you execute. That's scientific. And you would just execute. <laughs> and you would execute. But, you know, that's, that's, that's a time-weighted you know, right. execution now. Right. You know, right. and now it's just all kind of done. You're going to get evaluated and all. Right. So there are ways to measure that execution when your plan is, all right, I want to get in. And, and so now there's different pathways. There are a dozen shops here in Chicago yeah. and more so in New York and London that will sell you all of the execution that you want oh, wow. with these programs. Hmm. Um, and I think that they're not that difficult to put together, That's interesting. Uh, depending on the product you're using. Mm -hmm. All right. Stump the clue. His badge was KLU when he was on the floor. Uh, funniest story that ever that you recall from your trading days on the floor. I always ask that to floor traders because, you know, people, the floors don't exist really anymore. So it's kind of a dinosaur thing. I, I think when I first walked onto the CME floor, because it was so different from the SIBO floor. That wasn't right? funny. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the SIBO floor, the option floor was much more subdued. Yeah, totally and, quieter. And when you walked into the CME floor, the S&P pit was right to your right. right to your and right. it was yeah. loud. It was loud. It was roaring right. in, you know, early 87. That's right. And it was the first thing where I was just like, oh, like, this is yeah. where I want to be. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. I don't think it had anything to do with the markets or anything else. Right. It reminded me of sports so oh, much. Me too. They would open the doors and yeah. it would just, it was like a wind coming out at you. So yeah. I'm clerking. Yeah. Uh, and so we stood next to Marilyn Goldman uh -huh. and another small little outfit. Mm -hmm. And the clerk for the small outfit, his name was Sick Rich. Because, of course, what would a clerk's name be on the CME <laughs> floor in 1987? So we get to July yeah. and he asks me, you know, hey, you know, Clue, what are you going to do for Fourth of July? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, my wife and I, you yeah. know, I was newly married mm -hmm. or I actually engaged at that time. Yeah. So I think we're going to go down and watch the fireworks. And I said, I think we'll go over to Olive Park, which is on the other side of Navy. Yeah. Pier. Yeah. yeah. So it's a little quieter over yeah, there. Yeah. And you see, still see all the, the fireworks. Right. And he said, well, don't you blow off fireworks? Set off fireworks yourself? I'm like, oh, I'm like, my dad, no, he didn't allow no that. Chance. You know? No chance. No way. Not three uh, boys he, in your yeah. family. No way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's with an iron fist he rules. And I said, you know, my dad didn't allow it. And right. I turned to him and I'm like, can you get me fireworks? Oh, no. And, and he's like, well, of course I can. I'm like, so what kind of fireworks can you get me? He's like, well, I can get you dynamite. I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like what, dynamite? Dynamite. He's like, he's like, well, not a full stick, but I can get you half sticks. <laughs> like, like, that's even better, you know? And, and, you know, I just, out of curiosity, I'm like, so what do you do with a half stick of dynamite? He's like, oh, you duct tape it around a tree and you light it and you run away and the it blows up and the tree falls over. Oh my and was, God. And I'm like, really? Like, this is like what, I'm like, I think I'll pass on the dynamite. But I think that was like the first story I heard. I was like, oh, I think I'm in the right place. You know? Some guy's dynamiting yeah. trees on the 4th of July. Yeah. <laughs> on the northwest side of the city, right? <laughs> and obviously there are tons of blue stories from those days. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't think, Jeff, any more so than any other industry because – you know, we just happened to share, share a common space. It was yeah. lots of small businesses. There were. Sharing a common space. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's very entrepreneurial, it, yeah. That's, that's the thing that this gets discounted the most is we know how to run a business. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. We know how to run a business. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, no, you just didn't. No, no, that's not, that's not true. Yeah. We ran a business. And when you start running a business for 25, 30 years, um, you know, that that's a pretty good track record. Totally. Not too many people you know, are able to achieve that. No. And it's funny because like John Lothian is in town here, the Lothian report, and he's doing a thing on open outcry, um, a video series. And, um, and we were talking about it and he said, 
the floor to me was like 4,000 people that couldn't be employed in the real world, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you think about it, there's some people. There were definitely some people that (laughs) fall into that category. There were a lot of people. But but when you look at, like, okay, I'm a venture capitalist now and I deal with entrepreneurs, well, they can't be employed in the real world either. And so they're similar, but they're running, like, respectable, in quotes, businesses, and they're not, you know, screaming and yelling all day in a jacket like we did. It it was one of the things that my dad was very – disappointed in because yeah. you know, I had a master's degree. Right. And, you know, that's the first thing. Someone looks at you and you're like, oh, well, you were a jock. And like, he was a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, my dad was a teacher and he said, don't go down there. <laughs> my, my mom, you know, had, had yeah. her master's. My dad has a PhD yeah. in education. Like yeah. education was a big thing in no, our household. No, me too. Yeah. My dad's a PhD in education. And yeah. it was, you know, like, what are you doing? Right. Where do you want to work? Right. Right. Um, you know, right. why, why did you go to school? Yeah. And most people just end up in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, we gravitate, right? Like right. So you and I become friends. Sure. You know, like we, 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 we gravitate to those people that are, you know, really of a common experience. Mm-hmm. And some of the other guys you just kind of know. Yeah. And, you know, we, you can have some humor with them right. and everything else. But, um, you know, some of those relationships from the floor days there, have lasted a lifetime. Oh, a lifetime. There are a lot of basketball players down there. I mean, in the Eurodollar pit, especially because you had to be so tall. Yeah. To so see. You had the Lang brothers, you had Tommy Heights, you had Brett Burkholder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like- I'm six five. Dave's six six eight. Eight. Yeah. Chris is six nine. Mike six nine. Brett six eleven. Tommy six nine. Gr- Gr- I can't pronounce Mike. Grizz. Grizz, <laughs> Grizz is like six seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was one time I I tried to move this guy out of the way. He played tight end at Illinois, and then for the Baltimore Colts, and I hit him, or the Indianapolis Colts, and I hit him, and he just laughed at me. Chris Gamble. Yeah, and then he shook <laughs> my hand. Chris. He shook my hand, yeah. and his fingers yeah. went up my forearm. He was yep. huge, huge guy. Well, thank you very much for coming on the program today. Um, I appreciate it. Very, Dave, very the chief nice investment time. officer of Typhon Capital here in Chicago, and uh, you can find him there. Yeah, I'm, what's your website? TyphonCapital.com. TyphonCapital.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah, all those good places. I am still to this day not a Facebook person. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, I hope everybody has a good day trading. Traders, thank you for making it to the end of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. Be sure to follow us on any and all of our social media channels. Check out our blog. And most importantly, be sure to give us your feedback. Now, in the past, the best way to do this has been by rating us on iTunes. But starting next week, we're going to start something new. We're going to conduct our first ever listener survey. Yeah, that's right. We want to hear from you guys. And uh, when we announce next week, we're going to be conducting our first ever listener survey. That's right. We want to hear from all of you guys. And starting next week, I'm going to announce what our rather expensive prizes are. So I promise this survey is only going to take a few minutes. And if only a few of you reply, well, then there's a high chance you're going to win uh, some of these prizes. That's some trader math right there. And just think about what you could do with those prizes ahead of the holidays. You could get a rocking horse for the kids or something special for your sweetheart. Or just spend it on yourself. We're not here to judge you for that. So be sure to check that out. In the uh, meantime, everybody have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest. Namaste and trade well. This episode produced by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.